daredevils take this all to a to the next step up because they're basically deliberately trying to scare themselves <laughs> silly i mean travis pastrana is one of the most crazy people i've ever met and <laughs> i was yeah i mean for those who who don't know who he is he's a, an american motocross um motorbike rider who also does all sorts of other things like jumping out of you know base jumping and um all the sort of things which I have no intention of ever doing in my life. He has these moments of time slowing down as well. He he was the first person ever to do a double backflip on a motorbike, and he did it in, in at the X Games in front of again a massive uh, crowd of people and a huge TV audience. He just had this sort of <laughs> went into this other state of mind. He loved this feeling. He he lived for it. In fact, he said he could only get in the zone when he thought he was about to die. Yo, Ryan Hartley here, host of the Always Better Than Yesterday podcast. Welcome to the interview sessions where I put my curious questions to inspiring people with one goal in mind, to leave you better than you were yesterday. My guest today is Clyde Brolin. Clyde was a a Formula One journalist. He's authored two books, Overdrive and In The Zone. Ever since hearing Senna's description of his qualifying lap at Monaco 1988, He's been fascinated by this idea, this concept of being in the zone. He's interviewed thousands of elite athletes, understanding what it means to be in the zone. We have an amazing conversation about some Formula One greats like Lewis Hamilton, Michael Schumacher. We talk about Grosjean's recent accident. We talk about Travis Pastrana's double backflip. We talk about Felix Baumgartner's world record free fall. We talk about... Uh, what it means to be in the zone as a team and the importance of the hacker to the All Blacks. It's an amazing, amazing conversation. I hope it inspires you in some way. Head over to YouTube if you're a visual person and you want to watch the video instead. All of our 114 episodes are on the Always Better Than Yesterday YouTube channel. And if you are looking for a community to grow in your heart and your mind with, come and join us if you're not there already on Facebook. We are always better than yesterday. Come and join like-hearted, like-minded people from all around the world. We promise to leave you better. We, we promise to be a space on the internet that helps you in some way. These interview sessions are brought to you by our great friends at Web Creation. Head to webcreationgroup.com for stunning websites at sensible prices. That's enough from me. We're going to head into episode 114 with Clyde Brolin. Always love. Clyde, welcome to the Always Better Than Yesterday podcast. Great to have you. How are you? Oh, it's a pleasure to be here, Ryan. Thank you very much for having me on. Look forward to seeing where we go with this nice chat. 100% and you know I've read your your two books and just the names of people that you've interviewed over the last decade it, it, you can't not be better for those conversations and I'm and I'm glad that I can put you on the other side of, of that interview yeah it's a bit of a out of my comfort zone thing being the person interviewed I must admit I'm, <laughs> I do normally sit there quizzing these people and you know as you say, I've been lucky enough to speak to hundreds. In fact, I'm probably into thousands of pretty amazing sports people, largely, but also people from all sorts of different fields. And 
Yeah, I'm far happier asking them the questions. I'll see how far I get with uh, actually trying to answer some as well. Forgive me if I go ranting off on some strange direction at any point, but there you Amazing. go. No, I, I love it. I love them. Um, I love the 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 heart of of your work. And talk to us about the creation of of your first book, Overdrive. Yeah, well, I mean, I. I was, I think I put it down to Ayrton Senna. I blame Ayrton Senna for everything. When I was a, a, a youngster, I was quite quietly obsessed with what he was able to do. And yet a little bit confused by some of the things he was saying. I mean, he, he used to attribute quite a lot of his success to, to God. And that was weird in itself for me. Um, mm -hmm. And then he had some extreme experiences in a racing car, which, uh, which he detailed to a level, which I'd never heard any other sports person manage. And, uh, I, yeah, I, I just, there was one particular um, performance that he did, which is now really famous. He did a, a qualifying session at, at Monaco mm. in 1988, where he just went, he effectively um, destroyed everybody else in the whole grid, including his teammate, Alain Prost, a multiple world champion in the same car. He went one and a half seconds faster than him. And But it was, it was what he reported afterwards that was just incredible he gave a very famous interview to jerry donaldson um in a book called grand prix people where he just described just reaching a level he'd never reached before he went faster and faster and faster and faster and he and he was just going he was pushing and finding ever more the, the further he pushed the further it went and he just still always had the ability to sort of to, to find new levels and yet he was practically not doing himself. It was, he, he felt like a sort of an out of body experience. He even um, mentioned looking down on himself as he was going around Monaco. And I mean, this sort of thing is just mind blowing. <laughs> and uh, so that piqued my interest. And, and by a, a, a very lucky set of events, I ended up working in Formula One as a journalist, sadly too late to meet Ayrton himself. I, I arrived in about 1998. And, um, uh, and, and, and I started, I just wanted to find out had other Formula One drivers had the same had the same kind of thing, and uh, I just gradually started collecting interviews with people, um, trying to. And luckily, the, the Formula One paddock is a fantastic place to be to meet incredible people who've done incredible things, and uh, mm. and the amazing thing was that the more people I asked, the more of them had, in some way or other, had some sort of experience like Senna described. Obviously, Senna was at the highest possible level; he's doing it in the. Um, but everybody had had these moments and that, that in fact, it's, it, it soon became apparent to me that these moments were what really drew sports people to keep going with what they were doing, even more than winning races or get, getting trophies, anything like that. These moments, it seemed to me, just mm. grabbed them more than anything else. And it was, it was really what drove them on to keep doing what they do. Mm. And you call that moment being in the zone. Is that right? There's the, the title of the book number two and, I think what's awesome about your work that aligns with my heart is that uh, you say that uh, uh, great things grow from small things. And, and I think, you know, it, it is amazing how you've started from interviewing Formula One drivers to now book two, where you've just interviewed a cross spectrum of high performing athletes. Yeah, I mean, that's right. If it's speaking to people in different from different countries in different languages or not always in different languages, but people who, who don't really um have the same expressions maybe this, this phrase in the zone became the one that that was most well known and the most mm -hmm. uh uh commonly understood to try and get to, to where i was trying to get to with the interviews with these people i, I mm -hmm. often with formula one drivers used to describe the senna thing because people had heard of it and and that was a shortcut to weigh in but the, the phrase in the zone yeah i mean it's it's this incredible 
place where sports people go. I mean, to an elite sports person, to be in the zone is, uh, is effectively to find heaven on earth. Um, they, at these times, they're basically doing whatever they've practiced for, you know, decades, and they've all practiced whatever they do to the highest level for decades. Mm. Um, but it's a moment where all thinking stops and all their years of, of training and hard work come flooding back out in a moment of just pure performance. And, um, and we, we see the results um, from the outside. I mean, it, it, we can see like, a, you know, a snooker 147 or a, a perfect gymnastics routine or, you know, just a, a moment of magic. And we go, wow. But um, it's nothing compared to what they're feeling from the inside. And, they're, they're, you know, at these times, um, I mean, the main thing is they feel a sense of complete peace and calm. They're doing the hardest thing on, on earth to, to the rest of us. And often in front of thousands of people in, in the stadium and millions of people watching them around the world. You know, and so the pressure is intense and yet total calm, total peace. It's, it just feels like the most natural thing in the world. And then often weird things happen to these people. They, they, they have some of these surreal experiences like Senna reported, like time slowing down or um, even these out of body experiences at, at extreme mm. levels. But it's just, the, the amazing thing is it's just, it's, it's just pure, pure perfection, pure, pure, oh, no, pure heaven for these guys to, to actually be in there and doing it. And, and that's but me, the, the reason why I've ch kept chasing them down for now 20, 20, more than 20 years is that, I don't know, I just, I get goosebumps so often when I'm speaking to them about these moments and they, they're, they're, they're just the moments that they treasure. And, and, and I, these are amazing people who've done amazing things, but often these very internal moments are just, oh, they're magic mm. to them and they're magic to me as well. I love that. I, I've been a, I've been a Formula One fan since my childhood and it's nice to be able to watch Formula One with my son now. And, and um, I, I came across you and your work because you were recently back on when Lewis Hamilton described having a, as a moment of being in the zone and, and obviously you were brought back on with your work and your reflection. But in your first book, you talk about the difference between being in the zone and not being in the zone with, with Hamilton in 2007 in Brazil and then again in 2008. What were the differences in, in his particular story about being in the zone and then not being in the zone? I mean, Lewis is... Uh... A fascinating, fascinating case mm. study. I mean, like, if I, if I could follow, you could just follow his career alone to follow the mm. story of the zone. And, and, and um, I mean, I, I was very lucky to speak to Lewis on his, at his very, very first Formula One test. He'd just been sort of announced with uh, to be to join McLaren with Fernando Alonso, then the reigning world champion as his teammate. And I was, it was a private test and I happened to be doing some work for McLaren. And so I was there and I was about the only journalist there and it was brilliant. And I got a nice chance to sit down with Lewis and find out already what his approach, what his understanding was of the zone and, and what it felt like to him. And, you know, he was, he was very much of the, he'd already had some amazing performances in GP2, the, 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 mm. the feeder formula, Formula One. And, um, and, he, and he'd had definitely some, some very high level experiences. But then when I brought up Senna's thing with him, he uh, it, it sort of it set him off in these sort of dreamy eyed look and like saying, oh, wow, I mean, that's beyond the zone. He said, that's heaven. <laughs> and, uh, mm. and, and and he, he's got this understanding because he was brought up, even though he was only like three years old or something when Senna did his his work. In fact, maybe even no, young, younger. Uh, and yet he he had he, he was brought up sort of adoring Senna as well. 
And so he's always had this, this sort of um, appreciation of, of the high level of performance that Senna, that Senna was able to reach. Um, yeah, and those two world championship deciders, I mean, I, again, I was, I was very lucky to be at both of them. And um, yeah, it, it's, it's you, you can't always get in. I mean, I've, 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 he, he's someone who initially claimed he could basically get in the zone all the time. He, when I was first chatting to him, he was saying, you know, I, it, you're either in the zone or you're nowhere kind of thing. And mm -hmm. um, so I think his, his, his sort of, uh, his language he's used over the years to sort of um, to describe mm -hmm. these moments has, has, has evolved. And I mean, it, just to, to come back to this year, he specifically mentioned in Spain um, that he was in the zone and <laughs> probably at then and now he you know he's at the level where he's he's the most successful driver in history in terms of wins and everything else now i think he's allowed to sort of uh <laughs> allow to allow himself the feeling that he's he's reaching senna's level now i don't think he was quite confident that he was there back then when he started his career even though he was already performing at the very highest level when he was straight in there excuse me you um you talk about you in the zone is very much a an experience it's a it's not thinking I, I think you said when you engage thinking you, you you're down from 100 percent to 90 percent so i was really surprised to see michael schumacher feature in your book because you know he equals seven-time world champion very great but that he has a persona of being very analytical very critical very mind orientated and, and yet i was surprised to see him what did you learn from from michael schumacher well, yeah, I mean, Sch Schumacher, when, when, again, I brought up Senna's thing with him and and his reaction to that was to describe it as just focus. He, he, mm. he sort of took that on board and he just thought that, that is being at your highest level of focus. And it was as if it was something that happened to him routinely and it was happening to him all the time. And I can certainly believe that as well. I mean, the, the level he reached is mm. just quite extraordinary. But as you say, yeah, he's he doesn't come across as a kind of dreamer or a <laughs> somebody who uh, yeah it was very much more analytical but that but that doesn't mean that, that doesn't stop you from reaching the zone even if you maybe describe it in a different way i mean alan prost as well was considered the professor who's actually the guy who senna um beat so convincingly in, in 1988 I, I when i brought it up with him he he came up with something very similar he said that in fact, in 1986, just two years earlier in Monaco, he, he described this exact same feeling of just pure performance, but it didn't feel fast. It just felt like happiness, he described it. It just felt like pure happiness. But he said that only happened to him four or five times in his entire career. Mm -hmm. And uh, so, so even these analyst, more analytical drivers, they all get there. They all, they all find these moments, um, even if the language they use isn't necessarily as evocative. And that's probably why Senna stands out so much because he when he was describing these things he'd go all misty-eyed he famously sort of really put emotion into what he was trying mm. to convey and uh, I suppose that's why why we sort of look at him and uh, and and when we go all misty-eyed as well and drift on mm. into this amazing thing but they all have it in one way or another. What are the key hallmarks that you describe in overdrive as this state of being in the zone? <laughs> well um you know, I, I suppose, uh, having spoken to hundreds of them, there are certain things that come up time and time again. I mean, time slowing down is a big one for Formula One drivers, because mm -hmm. obviously, if you're, if you're going flat out around a corner, the slower it feels, the easier it's going to be. Mm -hmm. 
um, it basically gave, gives the impression when, when you're spoken to so many of these people, they're all describing time slowing down for them as if you know, it just gives you it just gives you a massive advantage. It's uh, t- time slowing down is something. In fact, it's not. But it's not only something that they experience when they're in the in the performance mode. It's also something that um, happens regularly in crashed situations as well. It's something, in fact, which we can all access in if we're ever in a road crash or something mm. like that. I, I've now spoken to a lot of people who've had um, these experiences in 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 less pleasant circumstances. That's something where the rest of us can all all get a sense. Don't, I wouldn't recommend it, but it, you know, it, we we all can get a sense of, of of brain power basically going into overdrive, and uh, but that the, the Formula One drivers harness that and are able to use it for, for to, to improve their performance. And and there's very similar, you know, in other sports. It's uh, yeah, um, and, and and then it's just a feeling of calm is is, is critical because you can't. Um, you can't perform at a high level if you're in any way tense or um, if, if your mind is even thinking about anything else, it's any distraction at all um, will take you just that little notch down. It's, it's pure thought directed to whatever it is you're doing at the moment. I suppose it's just being completely in the moment would sum it up, this, this classic phrase. You're just there, you're just doing what you love doing. That's, mm. And that's another critical thing, by the way. All these, all these people have to love what they do to get to even con- go anywhere near getting to the high level where um, where they do. You have to, there are a couple of notable exceptions, by the way, but, but you have to love what you do. Otherwise, you just wouldn't have the commitment to keep going with it to even get anywhere near the state when you're in a Formula One car or anything mm-hmm. like that. Um, so, yeah, it's just mm-hmm. doing what you love and doing it to the best of your ability. I love that. And um, when we were planning time to to speak, I I shared a a story from uh, a guest of mine, David Ditchfield, who was um, dragged under a train in London um, some time ago, and and he very much described that experience of time slowing down, and and um, it, it made me smile to hear that described in in a number of your examples, and. Um, with uh, Travis Pastrana I'm a big fan of Travis Pastrana and and he describes it the the pursuit of those oh shit I'm gonna die moments what what's that all about yeah daredevils take this all to a to the next step up because they're basically deliberately trying to scare themselves (laughs) silly I mean Travis Pastrana is one of the most crazy people I've ever met and (laughs) I was yeah I mean for those who who don't know who he is he's an American motocross um motorbike rider who also does all sorts of other things like jumping out of you know base jumping and um mm. all the sort of things which i have no intention of ever doing in my life unless i'm pushed and uh, but he does them for fun and he, he basically he has these moments of time slowing down as well he he was the first person ever to do a double backflip on a motorbike and he did it in, in at the x games in front of again a massive uh, crowd of people and a huge tv audience um, and he's the first person ever to nail it. And uh, he described doing that. And while he was going around in those, it only took two seconds, this, this, this stunt that he was doing, but he described it as going on for like an eternity. And he, he saw all the light fittings above him. He could describe every expression on all the faces he could see below him. He just had this sort of, <laughs> went into this other state of mind uh, where he, yeah, he was just, he was literally flying and he, and he felt like he was 
flying for minutes, not two seconds. And he did this time, time and again, and all these other crazy things that he did, like uh, oh, he did some incredible leaps in. Uh, and yeah, but he he loved this feeling. He he lived for it. In fact, he said he could only get in the zone when he thought he was about to die. And he was then. And what it did was focus his mind and give him the chance to um, to find a way out of it. And he he would sort of he would look at where he's going to land and and think, okay, if I do this, I'm going to break my neck. If I do this, I'm just going to break my wrist. I think I prefer to just break my wrist. So I'm going to try this method. And and he would just, he would have these sort of thought processes going on in his mind while we're watching him doing ludicrous <laughs> ludicrous stuff so the the very best sort of people who do this for 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 their living or for or for just because <laughs> it's the only thing they want to do in life they reach such a level where i mean they're then able to just control these unbelievable emotions which range from everything you know from positive to just just scary and, and yet access perfect performance out of them and I mean yeah and he I mean he's just a classic example but I mean this does bring me back to I, I met this um it's again it's, it's this, if we were in a car crash we would have this ex we would have this experience as well I met a, an amazing bike rider who um just a, a normal um uh, just out out on the streets like the rest of us who was who was just driving home from work one riding home from work one day he saw suddenly there was a car pulled out in front of him um and there was a car coming. He hadn't, the car who pulled out in front of him hadn't seen him from a side road. Uh, and then the, the car couldn't keep going because there was another car coming from the other direction. So he was basically stuck there in front of him. And, and so this bike rider realized, okay, there's nothing I can do here. I can't go around him uh, because I'm going to crash into the guy coming the other way. I can't, okay, I can't, I can't break. I, can't, I haven't got the time to break. Um, because if I break, I'm going to skid or whatever. I'm going to hurt. I'm going to, I'm going to smash into him. And then he went through this thought process in his mind of, okay, what can I do here? What can I do here to get myself out of this? Um, I've, I, and he literally, he sent, he sent his brain scurrying off. Is there anything I can do? Is there anything I can do? Go and look. And he said he, we sent him his brain hurrying off to this sort of mental filing cabinet, which he looked through not just once, but two or three times. Finally, on the third look through, he, a massive spread of a, of a newspaper article he'd once read for, from somebody came in right in front of him. He started reading this and a sentence jumped out at him saying, if you're going to be in an accident, stand up. Okay, so this came up to him. So he just had time then to start standing up before um, he hit the he hit the car, started flying over it. Um, if he hadn't stood up, he'd have got caught on the on the the front of the motorbike, which got crushed completely by the accident. He stood up and he flew over it. He smashed himself to pieces, but he stayed alive. And he, he had this incredible thought process, which he literally described to me. It took me three pages to write down the, the, the thought process he described to me. But then looking back, he did, they then looked at the accident afterwards to investigate what it was. There were no skid marks. He hadn't, hadn't been able to brake, but he knew when he first saw the car and when he hit the car and that, and he knew how fast he was going. And he worked out that it was one second that he had between, <laughs> oh my God, I'm going to die, stand up. So we all have this. Yeah. We all have this if 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 we can sort of stay calm in a situation like that. But yeah, daredevils are a different thing because they choose to have it. I wouldn't mm. choose that. Mm. Before we move on too far from motorsport, I'd just be curious to know, do you have any reflections about the recent Grosjean crash? Well, I mean, it's another 
it's a it's a sim it's a similar experience as well just from what he was saying about it he he um he, he described a slightly small, uh, a slower version of time slowing down. He just, he had 28 seconds, and I think he described it as a feeling like it was about 90 seconds. Mm. But he, at various points in that, um, he tried to get out time and again, of, uh, and, and he realised that he, first he couldn't get out because his head was blocked by by the barrier or something, and then he couldn't get out because his uh, his foot was caught on the pedal and various other things. So he had to try three or four times and sort of changing. At one point, he thought, "Okay, this is it." I and he looked death in the face effectively and he basically was starting to to become you know not used to the idea but sort of effectively okay okay this is this is my time but then he then he thought no I've, i'm going to see my kids tonight you know and that mm -hmm. is so often what we hear from people who have near-death experiences who then come back and uh, uh it's, it's the driving force that keeps them from just sort of from from giving in and going for it and um and yeah and he found the way out and he found it and he was then sort of able to get out with it in a deadly situation which if he'd been in there much longer i'm sure he would have gone on and, and done it i mean this is the the thing about these i mean i've spoken to quite a few people who've had these sort of near-death experiences now and of course the the difference between them and the people who don't come back is is that we're, i mean obviously at some point they turn around and come back but i would imagine that the situation when we do finally move on will be very similar i imagine we're all going to have a visit to the zone awaiting us whenever mm. that comes and we're all going to have these moments and then there are so many of these classic um uh reports that come time and time again and they've come for thousands of years of near-death experiences are very similar um going back in all sorts of cultures and everything else and um and so yeah it's it boggles the minds slightly when you hear people who've come so close and found a way back i mean it's it's great and it often often leads to some sort of um change in their personality as well Mm. Um, Disney's soul um, depicts a dark side to pursuing this in the zone kind of feeling and and I just wonder in all your kind of experiences and interviews is there a dark side to the pursuit of those oh shit I'm going to die moments I'm sure there's a dark side to that because I'm sure <laughs> there's a lot of people who've actually died pursuing those, mm, yeah. those particular sort I mean the pursuit of in the zone itself I actually think that the problem comes more when you're pursuing uh, trophies or mm -hmm. glory or something external. I think that's when we see sports people hanging on for too long or coming back and trying to regain former glories and everything else. Mm -hmm. uh, if they're doing it for that kind of reason, I think that um, won't necessarily lead to a particularly great experience for them. But if they're, these, these moments in the zone are not normally things you actually aim for. It's normally a side product of, of going for a dream or yeah. going for just something or just doing doing what you love um these moments in the zone i it's they they tend to sort of come up and and they just come up and surprise them a lot of the time i mean and there's there are there are certain times when of course you have to perform in the zone like if you're an olympian and you have once every four years um to, to perform you have to somehow, somehow try and find a way to sort of nail being in the zone exactly when it matters and and, mm -hmm. and all that but um I don't know the pursuit of the zone itself is um, it, it just seems to me that it's these are the moments these are the, in, the moments that, that brighten up any chase for any external dream so the, if you're chasing for a, um, a medal you might never get the medal and that and if that is your entire life trying to get the medal then you'll end up and there are thousands and millions of people who've ended up completely disappointed mm -hmm. and with, if, if that is your entire purpose and forget 
then it's 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 not worth it. There's there's yeah. there's better things out there in life, and there's more. And and it's it's the chase for a dream, though. It seems to me that the thing that links all these great sports people is they they're after um. It's 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 a, it's the chase rather than the arrival. In fact, when you do arrive at one of these dreams, it's often a massively deflating experience. Even winning an Olympic gold medal, you've spent twenty years chasing for. You get a week of adulation, it's great, and you get a week of amazing feeling within yourself. And then, okay, what do I do now? And it's it's to achieve a dream is often as as, as deflating as to fail to achieve a dream. Uh, and then you have to find the next dream. And if you've done spent your entire life, particularly with sports people, you have to do this so young. Um, you spent your entire life doing one thing. It, that's it can it can lead to massive problems. So that those in those senses, yeah, it can be uh, a, a big double-edged sword. Um, for the rest of us, you know, it's we all actually, by the way, have these moments in in various things, whatever we do, whatever if we do something to any kind of um, if we do something for fun or anything, any kind of level, we all have moments like this. I mean, even you know, if we play five side football or something like that with a <laughs> you, you all have a night where everything suddenly pings in mm. and uh, and it doesn't have to be it's not just sport by the way it's you know music painting anything whatever it is you do you'll have moments where it flow, flows and it's and it just feels great and, uh, and and they're actually the moments that keep us going a little bit i think if, if we're actually doing something like that i'm i'm i've often left this office and gone next door and my wife's gone oh what did you talk about and i'm like i have no idea <laughs> I like I have no idea like I just I just asked what was ever there at the time and I'm sure you've probably had interviews with people and you've asked questions that maybe you've not asked anybody else the same question but in that moment you just felt called to ask that question that's that is you've absolutely nailed it and you've asked yeah that's exactly what I as I say I'm, I'm more often on your side of things and, and there are times where I get goosebumps myself and I'm sitting there listening to somebody telling me something extraordinary and, mm. and i and I, I can feel it now just remembering that so there are some people i've spoken to uh, i don't know kathy freeman is what who's standing out to me who just told me an amazing story about how, what human performance is really about and what and what we should all what we're all capable of and how you know and oh my god there are some which just literally just light me up and i and those are my moments in the zone yeah when i'm mm. when, I, when i'm sitting there and i'm just i'm not going to do anything and, and I'm, the, the right question just comes and just and then it, it just keeps going and yeah it's glorious so there you go mm. in the zone moments even for us impoverished interviewers absolutely yeah 100 and and i think you you describe it at the very start of in the zone it's i'm going to read it it says the message from the select few at the top of uh, at the top is disarmingly simple yet astonishingly consistent the true creative power of the human mind is limitless we are dream machines. I just love to know what is your codifying being a dream machine? What, what, how have you captured that in a practical way for people to learn? Well, yeah, I mean, I, I suppose within the zone. So, so, so yeah, my, my sort of second book in the zone was a little bit more aimed towards, um, yeah, trying to get people to understand the, um, the amazing, the amazing potential we all have within ourselves. And, um, to live any dream we do we do have it within us and mm -hmm. and it, it boiled down you know because i then spoke to these hundreds and hundreds of, of of largely high high achieving sports people and and people from other fields as well um and there were definite patterns towards achieving very very difficult dreams we don't have to have a difficult dream by the way it's not compulsory any of this but you know no matter how high your dream seems to be there are steps you can definitely take to, to, to start along the way to getting there. And uh, I mean, it, it boiled down 
to, to a very sort of simple CBA pattern, which is what I, what I came up with, which is conceive and then believe and then achieve, which sounds sort of crass, sounds like a little cat poster, but it, bo it boils down to conceive. All these, all these great um, uh, sports people or anybody else are, are great dreamers first. They all, all dream about something huge and, and effectively impossible to reach. You know, you, it's a five-year-old dreaming of being the Formula One world champion or, uh, you know, winning the 100 meters in the Olympics, whatever. Uh, and then, yeah, but then the, most of us sort of think of those things. We all, we've all probably gone through a period, I want to be that. But then we sort of put it out of my mind, do something else. The people who keep going with it, they can really keep going with it. And so they, they, they don't lose the dream. They just think, yeah, I actually really do want to do that. And then they keep going. So even so they've got it in their head in childhood or whatever it is, it doesn't have to be childhood, but with sport, it normally is childhood because you have to start so young. The rest of us have a lot longer if we want to do something else. But so, and then, and then the dream, they then sort of break the dream down into smaller and smaller chunks as to, okay, what do I need to do in the next, year or the next week to get me a little bit step further to, towards the dream and then they visualize that and they visualize that with great intensity visualization is something that came up time and time again with these people there they basically see into the future they're not it's not just to sort of prepare themselves for what's coming it's also to it's a steer if, if we sort of give a clear enough signal out there to the universe the universe comes along and helps sort of <laughs> usher us in the right direction and if you if you give a clear enough signal about okay i i am i am doing such and such in 20 years time i'm doing this in 10 years time i'm doing this in five years time i'm doing this in one year's time and i'm doing this in the next week this is what i'm going to have to do to, in the next week to to give me the stepping stone to be there in one year five years etc and, and they and they're brilliant at it michael phelps is a, is a is an amazing example of this the, the greatest ever olympian no one's he's got more olympic medals than most countries and uh, he he was taught this by his coach. Most, most people don't pick this up as kids. We, we're not taught it as as kids. We should be, but we're not. And but so you, you have to have a very enlightened parent or coach or something like that to actually let you even know this this process exists. But he had an enlightened coach. He basically started telling him to um, picture his swimming, even practice his swimming. He picture picture himself turning in X time to the to the tenth. And then you do the next lap in this time and you do that and, and all this and he had to visualize it in advance and it was he found as soon as he started doing that it was amazing how close he got to these sort of actual performance and then he used the same process to then keep dreaming bigger and bigger and bigger to the point that he dreamt that he'd be the world's greatest olympian ever which is a you know a huge dream <laughs> but it's but he, he knew the process of how to dream it uh, so that's just C, by the way. This is just sort of the conceived yeah. thing, uh, but it's it's critical. If you can't conceive yourself doing something, then it's you won't you won't you won't get anywhere near it. Then I, I B. Uh, sorry, just before, sorry, yeah, go ahead. Before, yeah. yeah, before we move on from swimming, I um I interviewed Stephanie Millward, and um, oh, yeah. she's a Paralympic champion, and and, and I asked her that question: Were you nervous going out? And she's like, No, I'd already run the, I'd already swam the race in my mind, and I don't know whether that's just swimming or or, or what, but um, it's absolutely something that she said. You know, she's a multiple Paralympic champion, and she absolutely said, I'd done that race a hundred times in my head. I, you know, I just I just had to go make it happen for real. It's definitely not just swimming. It's everything. It's literally everything. I mean, I'd, just before we move on from that, you've now reminded me of, um, and just to go back to a daredevil, Felix Baumgartner, you know, the guy who jumped mm. out of the, 
the, the highest balloon trip ever and you actually became the first human being to break the speed of sound without any engine or anything like that yeah um he i mean his his story was one which i which i really picked up on in, in the zone because it was just incredible how he he told me how he visualized that thousands of times in his mind that exact mm. everything he was going to see when he was up there every aspect of what it was going to feel like being out because you, you can't practice that you can go to a certain level you know and then you, you, you do a, a certain amount of practice and you know skydiving and from certain levels and then higher and higher but to do the highest whatever you can't practice that so he just mm. so he did it all in his mind he said he 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 just by the time he was up there it was basically like one of his dream sequences he was he'd done it so often that it was literally he just felt like okay this is another kind of visual visualization and then boom he's actually doing it but it's uh if, you, if you're brilliant at visualizing it just becomes exactly like like a dream yeah so that's that's the that's supposed the real reason of or the real definition of things going like a dream mm-hmm. um and i was going to get to b let's go yeah let's go sorry <laughs> and, and, that's, and that is really hard because the problem is all yeah. if you want to do anything sort of difficult or <clears> or certainly if you're going to be the first person to do anything it's going to be a hard it's going to be really hard and there's going to be lots of times along the way where it's going to feel impossible and there's going to be lots of times along the way where you get discouragement and things go wrong and it feels like you're never going to get there and uh and that is where again 95 percent of the people who who had who kept the dream anyway from their from their childhood that's where they all give up and, and go away and just realize oh actually i'd rather do something else and that's fine as well it's, again none of this is compulsory but the ones who are going to keep going with it they have to find this incredible belief from somewhere because we all have these inner voices that tell us you're wasting your whole life here. You're wasting, what are you doing with your time? You know, you could be, you know, you could be doing anything. You could have a proper job. You could be doing whatever it is. We all have these voices that tell us to stop, move on, go and find something better. Um, but they don't listen. And somehow mm-hmm. or other, whether it's again, often by guidance, they often have people guiding them because it's, again, it's not something which a young person would necessarily understand or, or, or come across um you just have to block out everything if, if you if something really matters to you you just have to find a way each time you get you fall over and you fail which will happen hundreds of times if you want to be, do something incredible mm. um you just have to then say okay it was okay that was a failure but i've learned and i'm gonna i'm gonna do it slightly differently and i'm gonna keep going and i keep going and that is so hard because failure is painful and it's painful for everyone and it's painful oh and, and you, can, you can just imagine how easy it is to say, okay, it's just not for me. I tried. And, and that's, and that's fine. And that is also fine. Mm, but mm. these people are so determined and, and they love what they do so much that they, it means so much that they want to keep going, going for it. And then achieve, which is a, isn't actually the moment that when they, um, when they, uh, you know, get the Olympic goal or whatever, it's, it's, it's the moment where they, they've just, it's every day when they go up for training, it's every day when they just, keep going and they take that step a little bit closer that to me is achieved that is the that's the work you have to you have to have the sort of dream and the belief to even get anywhere near the work then you keep going with the work and you have to keep going back to the belief to keep going with the work because the mm. work is so hard and then so that's achieved and then eventually mm. you get the moment you go from beyond c b a and you get to z the zone ideally at the right moment i love that and um one bit that you've described in in the uh, the achieve section of the book is the the transcendence of in the zone from an individual to a team level. And, you know, I, I think about the sub two second uh, pit stop from the Red Bull team. I think about the all blacks, you know, what are some of the lessons that you've learned from, from teams on your, on your travels? 
Yeah, I mean, again, it's it's a, it's a thing that the zone can amplify. It can amplify if you're in a group of people all, all going in the same direction and just uh, with an absolute defined life purpose. The, 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 to find the zone in a team, and the All Blacks are a great example of it, um, it, it feels almost, it's even better because you get to share the experience. Most of these uh, activities, um, you know, it, racing they're all everybody's part of a team racing drivers athletes even all individuals they all have a team backing them up they all no one gets anywhere on their own doing any of this they all have whether it's um coaches or um sometimes you know psychologists physiotherapists all these people are always always backing up even individuals but if you're actually doing the same thing with a bunch of people and it can be uh you know a, a band as well it can be music it could be anything that the feeling of finding this amazing level of performance together is is it's 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 better than it's better than it yeah. can even be you know yeah. on your own um yeah the, all just to come out the all blacks are a brilliant example because they have this incredible pre-match chance to mm -hmm. uh, to declare their intent the hacker the mm -hmm. hackers always played they tend to play it down as a, as a competitive advantage it's a massive competitive advantage because because they're they're um they're basically having a chance to sort of to to focus together mm. in an incredible, um, powerful way. Their energy and to to focus it all in the same direction. We're coming at you, and we are we are the All Blacks. We are the mm. greatest. Mm. We're coming mm. for you, and this is what we're about to do. It's like it's not a declaration. I mean, it's it's not really a, a war thing. It's more of a, a declaration of unity for them, as that they've mm. described it to me. I've spoken to quite a few of the All Blacks, and they it's just a it's just a joining together of their forces in, in the most powerful way. I mean, other teams sort of do it. You see a pretty much huddle quite a lot in football, things like that. Anything that does that is going to give your team a level, a level of, of, of performance that will, that will boost it. And then the payoff, honestly, if the zone, if you can multiply it amongst a team, oh my God, it, it reaches mm. astronomical levels. Yeah, I think you quoted Sean Fitzpatrick as saying everybody should do the hacker at the start of the business day. <laughs> yeah. Imagine yeah. that. Yeah, well, he also mentioned that I think they tried it in somewhere like uh, Walmart in in America. And they, <laughs> I think it was the Walmart chant or something. And, and you mm. know, you, you have to, I think you have to believe in your brand as well <laughs> to, to, yeah, to get the most yeah. out of it. But yeah, if you can if you can genuinely believe what you're doing is for, is for the greater good, and uh and you can all come together oh yeah if everybody if everybody could find a hacker if we could all do a hacker even just in our own bedrooms before we before we go about the day goodness me yeah imagine what mm. higher level we'd reach mm. it's a great idea and um you the another word for in the zone in in the um in the kind of uh, psychology world is is flow and you describe mihai chiksek mihai as the godfather of flow and you got to have some conversations from him what did you learn and take away from him Wow. Yeah. I mean, that's an absolute privilege. One of the, one of the most enjoyable, in fact, one of the last interviews I did for in the zone was with, yes, Mihai Chik sent Mihai. For those who don't know, he's the, yeah, he's, he, he was a Hungarian who, who grew up just during the, the second world war, um, under occupation. Um, and he, as a child, um, was just didn't really understand how adults could reach such a low, how they could um, sort of mm. live lives like this. And to his only escape, he found an escape through chess and through walking in nature. And uh, until then, it became impossible even to do that. 
but he was just literally looking for an escape. He eventually uh, moved to America and, and um, starting from the seven, in the 1970s, he began work on uh, positive psychology, a, gener- a sort of uh, a field that was started really by um, yeah, Abraham Maslow, who, uh, who's famous for his hierarchy of needs, which basically describes every level of, of what we need to, to, be, to sort of perform we all have to have the basics of food and shelter and everything else before we can start talking about any of the things we've been talking about today and then you know there are certain levels up we need to have love and we need to have various other things before you can even think if, if, if we're short of any of these um uh basics we have no chance at all, all the stuff i've been talking about today is just a luxury that can only really be reached as long as you have all those things in place then once you have those things in place you can start aiming for higher and higher levels and um yeah Mihai Csikszentmihalyi is just um yeah and uh, just a, an amazing uh inspirational human being he 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 did experiments with, or, or, or did so much research into how we can all find this flow state and it's it's about doing things for their own sake and for doing mm. um things that we love and um he i mean into, into his 80s when i spoke to him he was he still found flow he said that he, when he was younger he found it in rock climbing and various other things but he's now had to knock that on the head <laughs> now but now he finds it in cooking and uh going out for walks still in nature nature is such a critical thing which everybody can find you know we can all find flow in, in nature thank god and um uh yeah and and just music he kept saying music all these things you can you can still find these moments of flow and he's still on the on the sort of enjoyable sort of ride finding flow um and it doesn't have to be about uh breaking a world record or doing anything like that everybody has access to flow we have access to it all the time if we can just focus on what we're doing and try and put the worries of the world somewhere else for a bit Mm. yeah Mm. i love that I'm really grateful for your time and sharing your work and just be curious to know where your curiosity is taking your work now. Yeah, it's a, it's a great question. I mean, it's, uh, <laughs> I'd love to know for myself. Yeah, I'm, I'm yeah. still, I'm still out there whenever I can interview people. I'm, I'm, still, I'm doing more interviews uh, more through other means these days, as we all know. Mm. Um, but it's, I, I've got a big collection still, which have, which have never seen the light of day. I'd love to, put some more um, material out there. Um, I just, I, I'm basically just trying to get the message out to people that we are better than we think we are and we are more incredible than we think we are. We have unbelievable abilities handed down to us from whether it's genetics or whether it's mm-hmm. higher spiritual or whatever it is, we, we have incredible abilities. And the message that I got time and time again from these people who've done amazing things is that they're normal. They're completely normal people who just happen to have gone down a particular path that's taken them to do an amazing thing but we all have this incredible ability within us and uh, yeah if we if we sort of give it the respect it deserves we can we can do amazing things or not if we choose and that's fine as well mm, i love that <laughs> uh, just putting it out there would be amazing to hear a, an in the zone podcast with clyde brolin it would be uh, amazing to get you know real-time insights into some of these great conversations that you get because they absolutely deserve the light of day Oh, thank you. Yeah, maybe that's maybe that's the future. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> you can help me out. <laughs> yeah, I'm, mate, I'm winging it. You know, is <laughs> is I, I, you know, I, I really take to heart the sentence that you wrote at the end of in the zone, which is that um, great things grow from small things. Yeah, you know, and and it's just it is it is consistency. It's it's doing what you love consistently 
every day and uh, it leads me to talking with great great people like you that are doing great things and yeah it's been it's been amazing i'm just curious to know what does the phrase always better than yesterday you know resonate you know what does that inspire in you i think that is a beautiful phrase honestly I, i've been loving listening to to your work i mean uh, I've, I've, I've listened to now i don't know dozens of your of your smaller you. pieces and some of your big mm. interviews and i think your attitude is fantastic and i think always, I, well, always better than yesterday wow nothing could sum up better what my life's work has been aiming towards just to try and get people to realize you know even if you're in a terrible state right now mm. tomorrow hey it's always better <laughs> so and yes this is this is tomorrow's yesterday so yeah <laughs> so yeah keep going don't worry about it I and mean, honestly there everybody there's a lot of people having a pretty miserable experience right now and mm. uh, yeah hey there is going to be a better for better better tomorrow <laughs> hope in the future and you know i just want to say thank you for the work that you've done so far it's an honor to connect with you i hope this conversation continues and i'd just love you to leave us with a a final thought from your good self well, oh, just um, well, thank you for very much for having me. Honestly, it's an absolute privilege to to speak to you and um, and to be on this amazing podcast. I think the work you do is amazing, and um, yeah, I'm just happy to be a bit of part of it. And yeah, people go out there, find find the zone, get some flow, go out in nature. That's the first step. <laughs> and go and get the books, overdrive and in the zone, Clyde. Amazing. Thank you so much for your time, my friend. It's a pleasure. Speak to you soon. Cheers. There we go, episode 114 with Clyde Brolin, author of Overdrive and In The Zone. I loved the ability to draw in the uh, references of David Ditchfield, um, previous guest on, on the podcast. And yeah, just really, really does make you think where there's so many um, accounts that are so similar about these moments. It really does spark my curiosity. Um, I'd love to know what has uh, been sparked in you. What are you curious to learn more about? Because some of these podcasts, they aren't always the answer. They spark off another layer of thought, questioning. What question are you left with? Email me at ryanbhartley at gmail.com. Feel free to screenshot the podcast and ask your question on any social media platform. Tag me in your Instagram story, however you want to do it. Make sure the question gets to me. What question are you left with at the end of this podcast hope to speak to you again next time come and join us go and check out the rest of the uh, the amazing interview sessions that we have hosted on the podcast on the youtube and i hope to connect with you personally in the always better than yesterday community until next time i appreciate you thank you for listening all the way to the end always love guys